The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. If you ever been to Hemp Hill on Star Street, you saw the funeral home, Star Funeral Home. It started, I found out, in 1946. About four generations of stars have had that, that business. Squeaky Star was a friend of mine. I guess he still is. He and his son now are running the business. But Squeaky was a interesting guy, kind of short like I am and about the same size. But he had a good sense of humor. I've heard him talk about a guy that went to church, and the church was full that Sunday morning. Choir, people on the stage. Everything was quiet until all of a sudden the back doors just slammed open, and the devil himself walked down the center aisle. The pastor and everybody up here saw it first, and they began to run like crazy, and all the people that saw the devil with fire and smoke and all kind of noise, they were scared to death. They grabbed their kids and ran out, and before long, everybody in the church was gone except one man. Sat down on about the second or third row, about like where Karen is, and the devil came up to him and said, Rah! Aren't you scared of me? No, sir, he said. You mean you're not scared of me? No. Why not? He said, well, I've been married to three of your sisters. <laughs> Squeaky was married several times too. We joke a lot about the devil, don't we? Some of you may think you're living where the devil lives. Did you know there was a church that Jesus described as living where Satan's throne is or where Satan lived? And it's a church that we can learn something from, I'm sure. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 17. Some of your Bibles may have a superscription that says, This is the compromising church. We've been studying the churches of Revelation 2 and 3 to help us understand what God may be saying to the churches but also what God may be saying to church in our day as well. What would He say if He were here to speak to First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana? Maybe the same thing that we see here. Listen to these words, and then I want to come and give you some information that may help us understand the letter that He wrote and sent to the churches. To the angel, we have learned that the angel is the messenger, most likely the pastor. The angel of the church at Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there there those who hold the doctrine of Baalim, 
who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have these that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. What in the world is Jesus saying to the church at Pergamos and perhaps to this church? I don't know if you are aware or not, but Pergamos and Pergamum are both used in the Scripture to describe this church. And there are two reasons that are given as possibilities for why the church was called Pergamum. One is that in Pergamum, or Pergamus, they made parchment. And the word parchment is related to the word Pergamum. Pergamon had a tremendous library, some 200,000 volumes, second only to Alexandria, Egypt. And the ruler of Pergamum wanted to have the best and the biggest library in all the world. He tried to persuade the librarian in Alexandria to come to Pergamus and be their librarian. And when the ruler of Alexandria found out about that, he was incensed. He had the librarian jailed, and you know what he did? He prevented any export of their papyrus, which is what they were using, to be shipped back to Pergamum so they were without any writing material. Papyrus was that interesting paper that um, was made from the inside of a huge reed that was growing in the Nile River area. They would take the inside of it and somehow put it together and press it together, beat it together, and then sand it off and make it smooth. It was kind of like our rough brown paper. You know what that looks like? I carried my lunch to school in a brown paper sack. Did you? Had to bring it home. So anyway, long story. But that was so important. But when Pergamos could not get that papyrus from Egypt, they were in a pickle. You know what they did? They began to develop a material that was animal skin called vellum or parchment. And they developed something that was even better than the papyrus. And they became very famous for that. In fact, the word um, is related to the word Pergamos. But there are other theories as to why the name was that because it relates to the historical period. The word Pergamos or Pergamum is made up of a, uh, an introductory, the little clause per, which means to intensify, to make it even more uh, deep, I suppose. And the word gamos is a word for marriage. Did you know that? We use that word in English. We don't pronounce it the same way, but we say bigamous, bigamous, to have two, or polygamous, 
polygamy to mean multiple wives or spouses. When Diocletian, the Roman emperor that was very, very cruel, finally died, the person who took his place was Constantine. Constantine was not as ruthless against the Christians as the previous Roman emperors were. He kind of had a tenderness toward Christianity. And it is said that he had a vision or a dream. And in this vision or dream, he saw a huge cross in the sky with these words, In this sign, conquer. Well, he thought God was speaking to him that if he became a Christian, then they would be very victorious. And so he decided that he would make everybody in Rome and in his army Christians. Some think that he gave every one of his soldiers a white robe and about $50, and they became, quote, Christians because they were baptized. That was a good thing and a very bad thing. The good was that persecution began to get less and less of Christians, and he ordered the government to provide funds to print 50 Bibles and place them in churches around uh, around the, the, the whole Roman Empire. The bad thing is the government and the church were linked together. They were married. And Pergamos means the period of time when the church and the government was controlled by each other. Always a bad thing when the government controls anything, I think, but especially the churches. I don't know if you're familiar with Tim LaHaye. He wrote the Left Behind series, remember? He has a commentary on the book of Revelation. And during this period of time that I think this church represents, 330 to about 600 A.D., many man-made doctrines were added to the church. And he lists those in his commentary. Celibacy. Prayers for the, for the dead, making the sign of the cross, the worship of saints and angels, mass, extreme unction, doctrine of purgatory, prayers directed to Mary and to saints. These things became a part of the official church doctrine that do not come from the Scripture. When the church is controlled by the government and not Christ being the head, you can get into all kinds of difficulties. And this church represents a period of time when many things like that were actually introduced. So what does Jesus mean when he writes this letter to the church? Is there anything that you and I can learn from this lesson about what Jesus may say to the churches here? I think so. In fact, first of all, I invite you to look at the beginning of the letter, who it is that's saying this. This is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Listen to verse 12 again. To the angel of the church at Pergamos, these things says, He who has a sharp Two-edged sword. That's interesting to me. Jesus is the one who is revealed in this picture. 
You see that in the first chapter, the vision that John had, it records in chapter 1. But here he is coming with a sharp, two-edged sword. What does that mean? I think it means one of two things. The sharp, two-edged sword is a sign that Jesus is in powerful authority and has the right to say to the church what needs to be said. He comes in judgment for those things that are wrong. He comes to clean up things that need to be cleaned up. He who is the head of the church says, I know what's going on where you live, and I come with a sharp two-edged sword. Now we know from the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing. What the Lord's picture is that He comes with an interest in cleaning up things that are not right in the church. It's a picture of Jesus with all authority and the one uh, that comes with, uh, with all of the ability to clean up and to judge what's right and wrong in that city. It is written, it's what Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil. You remember Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4 described 40 days that Jesus fought with the devil And how did he defeat the temptations? It is written. It is written. He quoted the the word of God to say, I know how to fight all of the temptations of the evil one. If you and I do not fill our hearts and our minds with the word of God, we are defenseless against the devil. But with the word of God, we have that sharp two-edged sword. Notice also that Jesus says... In the introduction, I know your works. Do you think the Lord still knows what's going on? Does He know what's going on in your life? Does He know what's going on in your home? Does He know what's going on in His church? Absolutely. Every letter that Jesus writes to these seven churches, He knows the very heart of what's going on in the community and in the church. I think we need to be quite aware that this all-seeing, all-knowing God knows everything about us because He is God. It's quite an encouraging but kind of frightening to know that He sees and knows everything about us. Does He have a right to say anything to the church? Yes, he does. It's his church. and He is the head. And any time we get away from that, we always get into trouble, don't we? What did he say? What was the message that the one who was speaking said? Well, as the pattern has been, he first of all starts with compliments. Listen to what he says. You hold to my name. I'm so glad that he said that because they lived in a place where there was persecution. There was a lot of sexual immorality. We'll come to that in the next thing that he says. But he says, I know that there are some among you that are having a wonderful testimony because you hold fast to my name. You know exactly how I want things done and you're following that, a few of you. I know your 
name. I know that you're holding fast to my name and some of you are remaining very, very faithful in a world in which you live that's very, very difficult. Is it possible to live godly in a godless society? Yes. Difficult, but possible because God gives us the ability to do that. Notice that he says you are faithful in the face of persecution. Like all the other places where Rome was ruling, they had tremendous amount of of places that they could worship. In fact, here in Pergamos, they had a tremendous number of temples. I looked up some of those temples. They had a temple to, uh, uh, we call him Bacchus. I think that's the god of reverie, the god of wine. Celebrated in Mardi Gras. Did you hear me? It's one of the gods that is worshipped in reverie. I looked at Mardi Gras the other day and was shocked to realize that some of the things that they get bad reputation in New Orleans for is still going on. Where you throw beads and ask for the women to show their breasts. It's the kind of thing that was going on apparently in Pergamos as well. They had the goddess and the temple of Athena, the goddess of wisdom. They had the huge temple of Zeus, the greatest god in the Roman uh, world. Here on the mountain where the city was located, about 40 feet up, was a tremendous ledge that looked like a throne And everybody that would come into the city would see that first of all. And they worshipped there. They had the um, emperor worship. Emperor worship was, I've already described, where you take a pence of incense and put it in a flame and say, Caesar is Lord. Christians could not do that, could they? Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. Whenever they were tempted to say Caesar is Lord, they were compromising. And the Lord said that's not good. One of those, we don't know who Antipas was, he probably the pastor of the church there, refused to do that. And the scripture says he was martyred. He was killed because he would not worship the Caesar. And the Lord says, I know you live in a place where my faithful servant, Antipas, was killed and martyred. Did you know that the Greek word for martyr and witness are the same? To be a witness in that day was most likely to be a martyr because Christianity was hated by so many. And Jesus says, I have someone there like Polycarp of old, who would not bow down and worship Caesar. He only worshipped Christ. He had some complaints. Notice the next word. I have this against you. Do you see that? I know what's going on in your community, 
and in your life. And in the life of the church, though there were some faithful who held on to their name of Christ, there were some, the scripture says, Jesus pointed out, except the doctrine of Balaam. Do you remember that story? In the book of Numbers, chapter 22 and following, when Israel was coming out of Egypt and they got to, uh, to Moab, the king there was scared to death. He called for a prophet of God to come and curse the Israelites so that they would not be able to go on through his land. And the prophet said, I, I, I can only do what God says. And the Lord told him not to do that. And they went back and forth, two or three chapters in the book of Numbers. It's very interesting reading. Finally, because he could not curse the Israelites, they had some kind of a compromise. They came up with a plan. If you'll bring your Moabite women, prostitutes, and put them in front of the Israelite men, we know what was going to happen. And it did. The Israelite men fell into sexual immorality with the people there, and God killed, listen, 24,000 Israelites because they had compromised their faith, and they followed the doctrine of Balaam. Now, when Jesus is writing to this church, he says, there's some of y'all in your church that follow the doctrine of sexual immorality. And I don't like it. It's wrong. Not because somebody else said it, but because the Word of God says it. I said in our Sunday school class earlier this morning, there was a saying that was very popular when I was a young person. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You remember that? Well, that's not necessarily true. Listen, if God says it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. And that's exactly the problem of the church at Pergamos. They begin to fall into sexual immorality. And Jesus says, you have held to the doctrine of Balaam. They were not doing what God says they needed to do. Then he says, you follow the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is the same thing. There was a man named Nicholas that began as a Christian and then he turned his back upon everything and began to teach sexual immorality. And according to Jesus, some of the people in the church at Pergamos was doing the same thing. Now let's think for a moment. Does that permeate our society today? A few years ago when I was interim pastor at First Baptist Church in Hemp Hill, we had a men's retreat at one of our Baptist camps there. And I had invited a fellow who was a former pastor who was addicted to pornography. Had been delivered from that. But now he was counseling men who suffered from pornography. I can't believe that he said 60 to 70 men have a problem with pornography. And many, like 50% of pastors of churches, admit that they have a difficulty with pornography. 
I want you to know that God condemns that kind of lustful looking. We need to be careful because it destroys the very integrity of our home. Pornography, children born out of wedlock, living together without marriage. Do those things happen in our world? Absolutely. And it can affect the church if we do not take a stand that say, God's Word says these things are not right. Abortion is not birth control. We live in a world that seems to be consumed with sexual immorality. And according to the Word of God in the letter that he writes to the church at Pergamos, he does not approve that. The LGBTQ agenda is taking over everywhere. They're teaching your children and grandchildren that it's okay for you to be gay. It's okay for you to be a transgender. Did you know that some of the major denominations in, 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 the, in the United States today have been pulled apart by this very doctrine of the Nicolaitans? The Presbyterians have already been pulled apart because of the ordination of, of gay men and women to serve as clergy. The Methodists just last week were in a conference and they're dividing because of this same issue. It's going to affect and probably already has Baptist denominations and every other kind of Christian because this agenda is taught in our schools. It, it becomes the norm and to stand against that kind of thing will always bring the persecution of the government. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. We need to be careful that as the church of Jesus Christ, we love people who have a different understanding of sexual immorality than the Bible teaches, but cannot, we, we, we cannot fail to point out what the Scripture says. Compromise is the dangerous thing that affects the churches today. Jesus has a strong word to say. I'm going to come with my two-edged sword, and I'm going to fight with those who hold these practices. I don't like what Jesus had to say, but it's true. And if you don't believe it, read the word. Does God mean what he says in the word? Yes, and we need to be careful that we interpret it in our own life. Well, he had some compliments. He had some complaints. Then he gives some commands. Look at the scripture. What does he say? Repent. Repent is not just saying I'm sorry. It's a change of lifestyle. And he calls us to have an about face. We repent because God hates sin, regardless of where it is. If it's in the pastor, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the church, God hates sin, though He loves the sinner. He says, repent. Come with a broken heart. Cast your sin upon me, 
I'll pay for it. I think God means what He says. I like to ask two questions of myself and you. Do you believe what the Bible says is true? Do you believe it applies to you? If so, listen to what God says. He says, repent. And then He says, hear. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word hear is not just being able to hear, but to understand, to grasp the message and the truth. That's exactly what he says. Apply these things to life. And then he gives some consequences. Bad consequence if we don't do it. Good consequences if we do. The bad consequences. I will come and I will fight. I will come and I will fight. If you think that God is not able to come with that two-edged sword, you better check up on Him. He's the all-powerful God, and He comes with a sharp two-edged sword. Then, Jesus gave some good consequences. Do you see it? I will give Him to eat the hidden manna. What in the world is hidden manna? Well, I'm not sure. I've tried to do some study, and most of the commentaries say that when the temple was built in the Ark of the Covenant, they gave some two or three things inside the Ark. Remember? Tablet of stone, Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna to remind them of God's provision. When the temple was destroyed... Some believe that that manna was taken and hidden. And when Jesus comes again, he's going to take that manna that was hidden, that bread from heaven, and will feed us. When Jesus was talking while he was on earth to those Pharisees, they were talking about the manna that they said Moses gave them. Jesus said, no, God gave the manna and I am the manna from God. I am the one who will feed you and nourish you. And why I believe that when Jesus says this to the church at, at, at in Revelation chapter 2, He's saying, if you will repent, you're going to celebrate with me in heaven and we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb and I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to be with you forever and ever and ever. You have something good to look forward to. I'm not only going to give you that hidden manna, that sustenance that only God can give. I'm going to give you a white stone. A white stone. wonder why that was important. Well, there are two or three ways that the white stone was, was used in that day. Uh, sometimes, if an athlete was successful, was a good athlete, and he won, he was given a white stone, and it gave him entrance into anything in the city because he was victorious. When we are faithful, God gives us a victory, and we can celebrate forever. 
Sometimes if a person was a slave and he was freed, he was given a white stone that indicated that he was now no longer a slave, but he was a free man. That's exactly what the Lord does for His people. He gives us freedom and we can celebrate. The white and the black stones were used in the judicial system. When they voted whether someone was guilty or or not guilty, they would cast a stone either black or white. And a white stone meant acquitted. When we trust Jesus and live for Him, we have that white stone that proves that we are acquitted. And if a gladiator had fought and fought and fought and survived and was ready for retirement, he was given a white stone that said he no longer had to fight. He was victorious and a winner. I like that. When you and I trust Jesus Christ and we live for Him, He gives us a white stone that says, we are free. We are victorious. We're no longer a slave. We have been acquitted because of what He has done for us. A white stone. And He gives us a new name. I like that. We have a new name written down in heaven. I don't know what it is, and you don't know what it is either. I think one time I was in a worship service, and we were asked, what is your name going to be in heaven? Can you guess mine? Blessed. There's a time coming. We shall spend an eternity in the very presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the head of the church. And He's going to do for us what no one else can do. He gives us a new name. He gives us a white stone. And He gives us that hidden manna. Looking forward to that, aren't you? The problem with the church there... And maybe the problem of the great of the great problem of the church in our world is compromise of accepting things that's not good for us or right. Are any of you old enough to remember Glenn Campbell? You remember him? He had a song that was pretty popular called Rhinestone Cowboy. Remember it? I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to hear the words because I think they apply to the church there and maybe the church of today. I've been walking these streets so long, singing the same old song. I know every crack on these dirty sidewalks of Broadway where hustle is the name of the game. And nice guys get washed away like the snow in the rain. There's been a lot of compromising on the road to my horizon. But I'm going to be where the lights are shining on me. Like a rhinestone cowboy riding out on a horse in a star-spangled rodeo. Like a rhinestone cowboy getting cards and letters from people I don't even know. And offers coming over the phone. Well, I really don't mind the rain, and a smile can't hide all the pain.
but you're down when you're riding the train that's taken the long way. And I dream of things to do with a subway token and a dollar tucked inside my shoe. There'll be a lot of compromising on the road to my horizon. But I'm going to be like a cowboy riding in a big rodeo. It doesn't matter the cost as long as I get what I want and I get what I want by compromising. I hope you can hear the message of Jesus who says to the church, that compromising church, the church of Pergamos, the church married to the world, I know what's going on. And I have a word of encouragement for you. Repent, and I'll give you what you need. Oh, my. If Jesus was coming into our church today, and to the church of America, I wonder if his message would be much different than it was in Revelation 2. What if Jesus came to your heart or to your home? What would he see? I trust that he would see those who remained faithful and kept the word of his faith and you followed what he wanted you to be and to do. Is there a need for you to deal with compromising? Is there a need for this church to face the facts of compromising? What will we do with the message of Jesus? Let's bow together and pray. And in a moment, it may be that the Spirit of God would speak to you about some of these issues that are so prevalent in our world and in our homes. What's the Lord say? Would you do, as we're about to sing, decide to follow Jesus? I trust that you will. Father, I thank you for the word that you gave to the church at Pergamos. It's a word that seems to be very appropriate to the American church. We have been inundated with social pressures, compromising. Help me and us to stand firm and fast. That we stand with Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. The one who comes sometimes with a sharp, two-edged sword that says, I know what's going on, and those things that are wrong, I want to deal with because of their importance. I pray for the men in this place, that you'll help us not to yield to the temptation of pornography or other kinds of issues that our church would be firm in teaching the truth of God's Word. So, Lord, speak to me and us, and we'll give you the praise because we want to follow you. We decide today to follow Jesus. Glorify yourself in this moment of decision, I pray in Jesus' name.
preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.